Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. I'm uh, actually feeling a little bit better. I've been a little bit uh, peaked toward the end of last week. Finally starting to get over it. All this pollen in there, you know, really makes for, um, you know, makes for a difficult day sometimes. But I uh, hope you guys are good after the weather today. It seems like once a week we're having what's supposed to be an, a historic weather event. I know it's spring weather, but it does seem like that um, that's something we're dealing with a lot more regularly. Come home last night after ball game. Hey, we may not have school today. Oh, wow, the weather tomorrow. Well, we did have school today, uh, thankfully. I remember as a kid, uh, we went to school. And that's not – I'm not being critical of anybody, but I'm just saying when we went to school as a kid, when I was a young person – you know, we didn't have to walk uphill both ways and the sun was always in our eyes or anything like that. I'm not that old, but um, it's just interesting to me. You know, it seems like the last couple of years, you know, we, we, we'll close school for sure. Wasn't that wasn't the case when I was a kid. You went to school. Simple as that. Now, I want to share with you guys, too, before we get too deep into the show. You may be familiar with the social media posting that's making the rounds about the Dave Nickel funeral. And uh, may Dave rest in peace. Dave, a good guy. I wanted to share with it with you, share you guys uh, this post with you guys, too, that was on Reddit from someone who attended the funeral. Now, Mississippi State sent three planes, and then Big E drove the bus over. A Mississippi State well-represented over there, paying their respects to Dave Nickel, a guy that died way too young. 
uh, from cancer. Just one of those things, too. It's like, you know, you you know these guys, and when they come in and out, I, I, won't, I won't say that I call them friends, even though I have been friendly with several Mississippi State coaches, you know, former players, and and you, you kind of stay in contact kind of peripherally. And uh, But, you know, Dave was a guy, you know, he leaves, and you, you don't really know what's going on. He kind of found out later that uh, he'd been sick for a while shortly after he got out there to USC, began to have some uh, some issues. And Dave's a guy, too, that had some health problems prior to that. But uh, he had gotten really thin before he left, and he got out there and it got worse, and they were later diagnosed with cancer and ultimately died, and uh, very, very sad for that. But um, everybody goes over, and I wanted to share this with you because I think it's important. A guy by the name of Quinn Durte, I'm sure that's in some way related connection to Joe Dirt or Joe Durte. Mississippi State fans, the right people are running your program, and I thank you for it. As many of you have probably read, a few weeks ago, USC inside receivers coach Dave Nickel passed away recently. The memorial service was day, for Dave was held yesterday in Plano, Texas. Mississippi State showed out in force. I didn't get all the details, but apparently Dave was good friends with the primary driver of the team bus at State. That's Everett Kennard. And he insisted on driving it from Starkville to Plano for the celebration of life. As I arrived in the parking lot, I saw the bus driving around as it dropped everyone off. Plenty of Bulldogs were in attendance. I had a chance to talk to Coach Leach briefly after the service. I just introduced myself and thanked him for the positive influence he had on Dave's career at Texas Tech, Washington State, and Mississippi State. I was a classmate of Dave in parochial in high school, and a lot of us followed and cheered on his progress from walk-on receiver to student assistant to GA to college assistant at Tech, Baylor, uh, East Carolina, Arizona, Washington State, and Mississippi State. Coach Leach was incredibly gracious and gushed about what a terrific job Dave did for him. Said he figured Dave worked with him for 14 years of his career. Dave's brother Robbie wore a Mississippi State hat and pullover during the reception at the Nickel House following the service and had a funny story about Coach Leach. Dave apparently suffered a mini-stroke and it made his eye movement erratic, which meant he struggled to read text on his phone. He would get frustrated and just hand it to Robbie for him to read to him. He would also play his voicemails. He played one from Coach Leach, and Leach would come on and start talking about things going on around him and say he was checking in and if he felt better to give him a holler later. The voicemail had several pauses and a few uhs and ums and some tangential thoughts thrown in, you know, typical Leach. It went on for several minutes. Dave listened to it and said to Robbie, now imagine that in meetings for four hours a day. Coach Leach called David and checked in on him uh, every single day he was in the hospital and receiving treatment. He has spring practice and recruiting and a million other things going on, but he still called in every single day. Um, say what you want about Leach, but that speaks to who he is as a person. Robbie also told me he never met Coach Leach before today, but he grabbed him in a hug and expressed his condolences. Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury were also in attendance. There was a large flower arrangement in the shape of a double T, the Texas Tech logo. Dave's alma mater, where he coached for five years as a student assistant in GA. Coach Riley and Dave were very close. He spoke at the service, getting choked up a few times while talking about him. He was at the house after, and there were some terrific photos of Dave with Lincoln's daughter, I think it was Sloan, running around at his feet when she was a toddler. Lincoln and his wife, Caitlin, and USC's administration really went above and beyond in what they did for Dave and his family, and I can't thank them enough. I'm rambling a little, and I apologize. The church was filled past capacity. They had to put folding chairs in the lobby and showed the service on closed circuit 
uh, television. Mississippi State was well represented both by Coach Leach, his assistant staff, and current former players, and we can't thank you enough. Uh, those are one of those things, too, that, um, you know, that's in the posting. That, you know, nobody did that for, for any notoriety. They didn't do that and go issue a press release. There was no photo opportunity. There was no media relations release or anything like that. Mississippi State and Coach Mike Leach and your football staff did that because of their love for Dave Nickel. And we talk at all about, you know, you know, we don't have fans. We have family, and we do. And uh, it's interesting, too, that so many people, you know, have shared that posting. And I think, you know, maybe it's important for us to understand, too, that, you know, sometimes we forget there are people involved. You know, you get so caught up in the brand and, you know, the maroon and white and things like that, and, you know, you forget that there are people that are responsible for facilitating our athletic endeavors. And there are people that love them that are behind the scenes that we never know about. And their loss is probably 100 times what ours is. You know, Dave Nichols shared the path with us for a little while. And uh, I think that uh, what Mississippi State has done was very important, not just because of the fact that it says a lot about Mississippi State, but it says a lot about Dave Nickel. Not that you would expect Mike Leach and the staff, you know, to, you know, to pass on the funeral, certainly not. But I think, again, it just goes to show you how important these things are and how important these people are to us. And it also reminds us the humanity in every bit of this. And I'm told that Everett Kennard wanted the Mississippi State bus to be over there, didn't have to do that. Wanted to. He really liked Dave Nickel a lot and uh, insisted on bringing the Mississippi State bus over there so that the Dave Nickel family and friends and all the people in his circle of influence would know how important Dave Nickel was to Mississippi State. And uh, I think that is an amazing thing. Wanted to share that with you, the kind of the firsthand account of what took place out there from someone that knew Dave Nickel long before we did. And I think it's important that, um, you know, again, it just kind of demonstrates – you know, the impact Dave Nickel had on a lot of people. So rest in peace, Dave. And uh, our thoughts and prayers are with everybody that, that loved Dave. Let's take some time now to thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I got to get in there this week. I didn't get to go last week. It's been, it's been busy for your guy. I mean, sometimes I get really busy. I do. We were in Newton Monday night and uh, had a great meal there at the Mexican restaurant. And uh, you, you folks are kind of fortunate to have such a quality establishment there in your neck of the woods. Uh, reminder, too, I will be uh, signing this weekend at, at Campus Bookmart. And then if you're coming to the FCA event on Friday at the Mill, I'll be there, too. be signing there as well. But I got to get some Bulldog Burger Company at some point. You know, some weeks I just I, I kind of look forward to that. Hey, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to get this. And, you know, there are some places you know well, and you already are getting your order together in your mind before you even make the drive. That's kind of how it is for me and Bulldog Burger Company. I'll get a craving for something on the menu. And the week just didn't complete until I go satisfy that craving. And that's kind of how it is this week. I've been thinking a lot about those Sloppy Joe sliders. I really like that. It's a great lunch portion. Very filling. I always leave feeling better than when I entered when I went to Bulldog Burger Company. I can't always say that. There's some restaurants you go and like, ah, oh, you know, it's just okay. It's never just okay at Bulldog Burger Company. That's one of the things I love about it, the consistency. The consistency and the quality of service and the quality of food. Be sure and go check them out. You'll be glad you did. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive right here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and in the central Mississippi area. Lakeland Drive. 
excuse me, Lake Harbor Drive. I don't know why. I, sometimes I get a brain freeze with that. Lake Harbor Drive. That's where it is. You know where it is. Lake Harbor Drive location. That's a new one. Great staff, great food, doing a great job down there. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. You'll be glad you did. And maybe have a pimentology add bacon. That's kind of the boneyard burger of choice. That's When I go get a burger, it's usually what I get. Enjoy that a lot. And then if you can't get that, uh, you're probably missing out a little bit. And I don't care if you like pimento and cheese sandwiches or not. If I can get it out, I don't like them. But I love the pimentology spread. It's fabulous. Add some bacon to it and put a little hair on your chest. You'd be glad you did that. And maybe get that chocolate shake to go. Make it an experience. Make it a night. Enjoy great service, great food at a great price. That's Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, Mississippi State won an intercollegiate college baseball game last night. I guess all college baseball games are intercollegiate. But um, it did not look like a fun night late. You know, and here's the thing that I would say. The, the thing that has made Mississippi State baseball maybe a little less enjoyable this year is even in games that we win, it feels like we're constantly chasing the game, that every pitch matters. Like, you can never relax in a Mississippi State game. And we've had some games, of course, we'll kind of get after somebody. You know, we, you know, Sunday we were able to relax a little bit because the game was over. But, you know, last night's one of those games. It's like you grind it out, you grind it out, you grind it out, you grind it out, and you finally have something go right for you. But, um, you know, it wasn't a great night of baseball for Mississippi State as far as a playing perspective. The, the result ends up pretty well, but there, I don't think there's anybody that walked away last night thinking, hey, you know, we're rolling. We're, we're not. We could ill afford to lose that ball game. And this is, listen, this is a quality UAB team. I'm not going to sit here. And there's sometimes I read on social media. Yeah, I can't believe we're struggling with UAB. Hey, listen, guys, Casey Dunn is an outstanding coach. You know, he's brought some Zanford teams to Mississippi State that have absolutely given us fits, and they're going to recruit at a higher level there at UAB. And Casey is a guy that is going to compete. Casey's a bit of an alpha dog, too. I think UAB is going to be one of those mid-major programs that gives somebody some trouble. They're 21-11 and 11 right now and 7-5 and five in their conference. It's not like this is the typical UAB team this kind of shows up and goes through the motions. They came here to win a baseball game and nearly did it. And so I'm not going to sit here and prop up an opponent per se, but for those people discounting the UAB Blazer baseball program, that's just a little bit short-sighted and comes off a little bit ignorant. It's a good win for us because every win at this point is important. State now 19-15 and 15 on the year, headed into a big weekend series with Auburn. Of course, that'll start this weekend, and we will preview the Auburn series a little bit later in the show. All right, let's jump into it and kind of break down. And right out of the gate, we don't get off to a good start. Pico Khan is um, Pico Khan is uh, our starter. Gets a ground out to short, and then there's this double down the right field line. And right off the bat, it looked like, well, it's going to go foul. And it just kind of dropped in there. It was just like they, they had some shots that really went their way. There were a couple of – two or three hits of that last night that you just look at and you think – you know, we actually make a pretty good pitch here, and they just get just enough to kind of hit it out there in a the no-man's land, and it's kind of how this one was. Now it's a double down the right field line. And we get a ground out to third and think, okay, we've got a chance to get out of this thing. And then uh, their leading hitter, and I, I was awfully impressed. I'm, Christian Hall is their designated hitter. That guy's a grinder, man. I don't know what his status is, but if that guy decides to go in the portal, we need to take a swing at him. That guy can really hit the baseball. Very impressed with him. And what does he do? He comes up with a two-out base hit on an 0-2 count. 
We catch too much in a plate here. But the reality of it is sometimes you get beat. We got beat right there. It's a one nothing ball game. We follow it up with a hit-by-pitch on a 2-2 count. And that's, what we, that's the thing you can't do. You, you can't add to your own misery. And, and, again, this is a situation here where, you know, we're, we're kind of battling here and we're a pitch away from getting out of the inning. You advance the guy, and then uh, Braunschweig comes up and singles through the left side and, and really hit that ball well. Hall comes around to score. It's a 2-0 ball game, and then Golda grounds out the second, the end, the top half of the first. And we're already chasing the game. Already. It's one thing for a good hitter to beat you, but then you kind of, you know, add to the, your own misery by, you know, putting another guy on to force the guy along, put him in a scoring position, and give gold the credit. Man, those guys came up and, you know, two two-out hits gives them a 2 nothing lead. Bottom of one, State strikes back here. Jaeger pops up to first. And, and RJ's been rolling. You know, RJ had the huge weekend over the weekend. This was not a good A-B. Just kind of got under one, pops up into foul territory, and they get under it for the out. Cam then flies out to center field. And, again, we get we get a 3-1 count here, get a pitch to handle, and just, just couldn't quite get it. And then Hancock comes in, and I think we're kind of getting the Luke Hancock we expected now. You know, we looked the last two weeks or so. Uh, Luke is a guy now that is beginning to kind of handle things the way that he should. He pulls one into the right field corner down there on a full count, uh, gives State a runner in scoring position, and then LT comes through, a big two-out base hit, drives Luke in to make it a 2-1 ball game. Then Hunter Hines singles to center field. Now you got runners at first and third. You're thinking, man, let's just get a base hit here. We've got a chance to, to even this thing up. And then uh, Slate Offord making a uh, start at third base yesterday, which uh, pushed uh, Cameron James to center field. Uh, strikes out swinging. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, struck out swinging. And so, and here's the thing that I'll tell you, too. I don't think this Cameron James move to center is just a midweek experiment. I, we talked about on the show on Monday about you probably got to shake some things up. I mean, you've had a couple of guys in there that, uh, you know, we're basically hitting about 225 at short, and we're hitting about 200 at center field when you combine everybody up. And so, basically, you've got two near automatic outs in your order – you got to find a way to eliminate one, and I thought Cameron James would be a part of that, but I thought maybe that meant making a move at shortstop, and more on that later. But I think Cameron James will likely stay in center field for a while. And part of the thing, too, you know, and I, and I read some things, some social media commentary, and a lot of it's not rooted in fact. I don't mind calling that out. I'm not going to mention your names, but you know, people are like, oh, you know, Lamontis got lucky last year. He didn't make any decisions, you know, and, and that's just foolhardy nonsense. That's being a prisoner of the moment and trying to find a way to be miserable. Guys, we don't win the NAFL championship last year without Cameron James making the move to third. We don't. Cam takes over at third, is able to do things well defensively down the stretch, which opened up the designated hitter spot that allowed Kellum Clark to come in. And maybe you recall he had a couple big home runs in Omaha. Well, that didn't even become a possibility if Cameron James can't handle things at third, and he did. You know, you, you, people forget you, you slide Cam to third, and then Lennon Jordan ultimately ends up leaving the team. And it's one of those things, too. It's just you know, it was what was best for the team. It wasn't best for Landon Jordan. And I don't, you know, that's just kind of the reality of life. You know, we had to get better over there because Cam was struggling defensively at short. So we slide him a third to keep his bat in the lineup. The next thing you know, Lane Forsyth comes along and, and uh, one of the better defensive shortstops we've ever had. And the odd man out was Landon Jordan. And we ended up having some injuries later and he could have played a little bit more. But, uh, 
you know, he had to make the decision he thought was best for himself. But, you know, people forget, too, we didn't make Brad Cumbus the everyday left fielder until late. And Brad's struggling a little bit right now. But, you know, we probably don't win the College World Series without Brad. So you got to make moves in season to better your lineup. And I think last night was a move that was important. I do think Cam will probably play center field this weekend. I won't be the least bit surprised. Yeah, especially when you see what Lane Forsythe did to plate last night. Now you begin to think, okay, well, hey, I got Cam James out there that got a couple of big two-out base hits last night, and I got Lane Forsythe who had four hits. And then Slade Offords, a guy that we think that, um, you know, is kind of one of these offensive stars of the future. So making this move, putting Cam in center, and we have played that position by committee, and it's time to kind of get that settled. But um, I don't think that that is going to be a temporary move. I don't, you know. You ride the hot hand for as long as you can, but I think Slate Offer will be in the lineup this weekend against Auburn. All right, top of second, a much better inning for a Pico. We get a we give up a leadoff single, and again, one of those things too just kind of gets down the line there. They sack Bunny McCross, and Mullins grounds out to short, and then Willoughby grounds out to third. So we're getting ground balls here, you know, for the most part. You know, Pico's pitching down. We we talk about too, you know, in baseball terms, if you're gonna miss, you're gonna miss down. You know, I think Pico does a good job of not missing up. He kind of understands the concept. He's going to kind of live around, you know, between the, the belt and the knees and, and a lot of times kind of mid-thigh there. You know, we're trying to get under barrels and get guys to beat the ball on the ground. I'm really excited about the future of Pico. But I thought that's when he's on his game is when uh, kind of like Kendall Graveman was. You know, when you're on top of it and you're able to pitch downhill and get under barrels, uh, you give your defense a chance. It's tough to field line drives that are 10, 15 feet over your head. All right, bottom of second. Uh, Kellum Clark lines out to left uh, left field. And I really thought Kellum hit the ball hard last night. I think maybe he's on the verge of kind of popping out of this little slump he's been in. I thought he hit the baseball hard last night. Uh, Compass also hit the baseball hard, pulls one through the left side there to give State a runner. Uh, Compass then still second. They review the play. Now, the throw beat him. But the throw was to the inside part of the bag. Compass goes to the outside. They make a late tag, but Cumbus is already in. They review it. The call is upheld, and there's Brad in scoring position. Then he goes to third on a pass ball. And again, here we are. Now we have a runner at third with less than two outs. We need to put a ball in play. Well, we did, and we kind of got a little bit unlucky here. Lane Forsythe actually hits the ball really well, but it's right back to the pitcher, and then Cumbus is this dead to rights right there. He stays in a run, run down long enough to get Lane around to second. Uh, but you, how many times did it happen last year? I mean, we got a runner at third going on contact, and we hit it right back to the pitcher. And that's just sometimes how it is. Uh, you know, hit one foot the other direction, in either direction, and that thing is maybe going back up the middle, but either way the run is home. So we get the guy in, we get him around, we can't get him in. Just, again, a little bit unlucky there. See, again, l- less, less than two outs, but you put a ball in play. And that was kind of the issue all weekend, right? is that we'd get guys in scoring position, and then we'd strike out. Even though this didn't yield us a run, it's a good at bat for Lane Forsythe. Jaeger then follows with a pop-up to first base in foul territory. Again, not going to besmirch uh, R.J. Jaeger after what he's done, and arguably our best player. Okay, so top of third, we bring in Parker Stinnett. And uh, I was a little worried, not going to lie. You know, his last two outings have not been good, and this one didn't get off to a great start either. Gives up a home run down the left field line to push UAB ahead 3-1, to one, the first hitter he sees. And then you've got uh, Christian Hall coming up, and you get down 2-0. And then, yeah, give Foxhall some credit. He's out there. And I thought 
Parker looked, his body language wasn't really good the early part of this at bat. But after Fox went out and talked to him, I thought he really settled in. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to put him back on the weekend. And Chris Lamona said last night, no, no, Parker's off the weekend. But that, at some point, we're going to need him to get outs for us. At some point. So it's like, oh, we, we're done with him. You, you can't be. We, you simply can't be. You got to hope he works through it. And, and maybe that's in the midweek. Uh, maybe that's in, uh, you know, a, a weekend game, maybe perhaps, or we just trying to get it over with. I don't know. But this guy still has a role on this team. And, listen, he's shown at times that he can be very effective. He's just been incredibly inconsistent. But he battles back here and immediately evens the count at 2-2 and, and looks like you may be not be able to finish him, a couple foul balls off, and then he gets him to ground out the short. I thought it was big. It's your best hitter, and he wins that battle. And he strikes out Floyd swinging and then gets uh, – Braunschweig uh, out at first and ground ball to first and they toss it to Parker and so you had the home run you got behind their best hitter but then we settle in there and uh, no, no further damage there of course you know they've, they've increased the lead but I thought Parker had every chance to fold right there and he didn't all right bottom of third not a great inning for us but uh, you know again we're putting the ball in play that's the thing that you know even in non-productive innings, you look at it and say, you know what, at least we're barreling some things up. Cam James flies out to left, pretty lengthy at bat there. Hancock lines out to right. That's another at bat that goes five pitches. Uh, Tanner then singles to left on a five-pitch at bat. Then Hunter Hines strikes out swinging uh, on a full count here. But, uh, you know, we're putting the ball in play here for the most part, and we're also getting deeper in the counts. All right, top of four, Parker Sinet with a great inning here. We get a ground out to third, then uh, Hunter flies out down the, the line and left, and then Bugs grounds out to second. Pretty efficient inning. Only had the one deeper count. That was to Hunter, and that was a 3-1 count. But we're able to get it. We didn't give in to him, and we got him to fly out. So, again, a good inning there for Parker's to net. Our bottom of four, State finally starts piecing some things together here. Slate offered a great at-bat right here. A, a great at-bat. He gets down 0-2. Works the count full, and then he knocks the ball right back up the middle. Very well hit baseball. And now we've got a leadoff runner. And then we take second on the pass ball. So now here we are with a runner in scoring position with less than two outs. Nobody's out at this point. And then Kellum Clark, 3-0 count. And I'll be honest with you, when you've got a guy up there, I know, listen, I know we're trying to get a guy going. I'm not swinging 3-0. You know, with a guy that has kind of struggled here as of late with strikeouts, yeah, listen, you know, maybe that walk and kind of advancing the lineup is good. Not to mention the fact that you're down 3-1 in the middle innings. I'm not – they green-lighted him, and then he pops up to the catcher. The only time I thought he didn't hit the baseball really hard. But I would not have green-lighted him. I don't really fault him for that. I just – I know 3-0, you're thinking you're going to get to get me over fastball. Maybe he can hammer it and tie the game. I just think at this point right now, with the way Kellum has, has kind of been a little bit up and down, I might take that I get a strike right there, especially with the runner at second. Just my opinion. Uh, Compass then K's swinging was not a good at bat. It, it, it was not a good at bat. And, I, you know, Brad is kind of struggling at times. I know he can run into one, but uh, I don't think Brad's seeing the baseball real well right now. He had the big hit earlier in the ballgame. This, this was not a good at bat. Uh, Lane Forsyth comes up and singles to short, hits one deep in the hole there at six hole, and they just they weren't able to do anything with it. And uh, Alford takes third. Yeager then singles to left center, really hit the baseball well. And then the run comes in to score, and then because the throw goes in the third, trying to cut down Lane, 
Jaeger, good base running on the backside, takes the bag at second. So now all of a sudden, it's like, hey, you got two runners in scoring position. You kind of got these guys on a rope. Cam James is coming up, and they plunk him. Now our base is loaded. They make a change here. And uh, I really thought, listen, and you hate to even suggest it, but, you know, Green was really filthy. I mean, he he was that sidearm guy, kind of a submarine type. But, man, that fastball was really tight. I mean, it really is. Sometimes you see a little bit of a loop in it. You know, when you got a guy dropping down, you see kind of this, you know, they're able to see it up a little bit, and it's tough to keep people off of it. I, I thought his fastball, the trajectory of it was really good. And then all of a sudden, the catcher kind of goes out there, and there was no need to go out there. There, there just wasn't. There was no need to go out there. And next thing you know, the coaches come out, the infield comes in. I, and I wonder if he wasn't injured. I wonder if he didn't hurt himself. And you hope it's not seriously. But that it kind of looked and felt that way. I mean, this is a guy, too, that uh, you know was pitching pretty well other than the hit by pitch. And, and again, we've been there before, too. But something just didn't look right. And, um, you know, it, it's he's got a one-two count on Luke Hancock, and they pull him. And then the guy comes in and throws a, a strike to Luke. And Luke, you know, and I checked with our track man associates, it was a strike. It didn't look like it or feel like it. And maybe we're just surprised to see Luke strike out like that. But um, it was a strike. But uh, my hope is that uh, Green's okay. But again, State gets a run, and it's a 3-2 ball game. And it could have been, we should have been able to tie it here, but um, unable to do so. All right, top of five, we bring in Drew Talley. Well, it's been a while since we've seen Drew. I'm still a Drew Talley fan. I think this is a guy that can help us, and I thought he did a good job last night. Uh, Talley gets uh, Mullins, their leadoff hitter, to strike out looking, gets a ground out from Willoughby to short, and then gets Sears to strike out swinging. So a 1-2-3 inning with a pair of Ks there. Uh, that That's the way to kind of get back in the rotation there, Drew. Good job there. Bottom of five state, nothing going here. Logan Tanner flies out to right field. For a second, I thought it might get down. We get down 0-2. And to me, the lesson here is uh, we're going another way here. You know, earlier in the year, and I said it, I thought LT was taking some selfish swings. The, the, you know, in the last month, I don't think it's been the case. And this is another example of that. You know, Logan's a guy that can take that slider and dump it into right field. And I thought this is a pretty good sign here. When you start seeing LT go the other way a little more, it, he's seeing the baseball well. And I think you're, you're about to see him go on a pretty good run too. Not that he's been bad. But when he's using all fields, he's at his best. Heinzen uh, pops up to short, basically short left field there. And then Slate offered. We get a ground out here, but again, it's a good at bat for the kid. Ends up being a full county, gets down one, two in the county, works it back up, and then we, you know, we ground out there. But, uh, you know, I thought Slate offered acquitted himself pretty well last night. Uh, defensively, he was outstanding. He made one play. It was kind of Brooks Robinson-esque. You see it like his Lamona said, you see a kid that big, you don't realize how quick and agile he is. That can really play. Now, he was kind of the talk of fall baseball from some of your regulars saying, hey, this late offered kid can really play. Even Cam James said, hey, defensively, this guy's dominant force over there. I think we saw it last night. All right, top of six. Christian Hall doubles to right center, and all of a sudden it feels like we're in some trouble. But Drew Talley retires the next three hitters. He gets a strike out of Floyd, so there's a non-productive out for you. Non-productive outs. And now you don't have a guy at third base with less than two outs. Braunschweig then lines out to right field. The runner holds. And then Golda pops up to first base. The inning's over. But I go back to that punch out right there. I mean, it changes the complexion 
of the inning. You got a runner in scoring position, and he's not able to advance. And that's what everybody wants, right? Give me a ground ball to the right side or give me a fly ball, routine fly ball to the runner tag and go to third. That way I've got a variety of ways to get him home. I can score without the benefit of another hit. But because Drew is able to get a punch out here on three pitches, it really changes the, uh, the complexion of the inning. So good effort there from Drew. Uh, they bring in this Aiden Moza kid, and I, I mean, I am really impressed with this guy. This guy's throwing 95, 96. Got about a 20-mile differential between the uh, changeup. I, mean, I, I, I thought this guy was really, really good. Now, we got to him, and I think a lot of it, too, is because we like Velo. We kind of jumped on some things here, but uh, he was filthy. I mean, he was absolutely filthy. And I began to think to myself, man, if this guy's thinking about transfer, we need to, we need to be on him. All right, Clark grounds out to second, but this ball is an absolute rocket. It's a great play by the second baseman, too. He makes this big sliding catch on the outfield grass there and throws Kellum out. Uh, but, again, we hit the baseball well here. And, again, I think you're, you're, getting, you're beginning to see the signs of Kellum Clark getting ready to get going again. I really believe that. Cumba strikes out swinging, and, again, I thought this was his worst at bat of the night. And, uh, you know, we take a fastball, then we take a breaking ball, then we swing at the, a changeup out of the zone there. And maybe that's – Maybe that's on Goat. Maybe that's on Brad. Maybe we didn't we didn't have a good read on the kid. Maybe Brad just didn't execute. I don't know. But the, it was not a good A-B. Uh, and, and, again, that's the thing with Brad. I mean, you're going to have some A-Bs up there where he's just so big and strong that, uh, you know, even when he, maybe he didn't guess right on a pitch, he can get a bat on it and kind of force the thing into the outfield and get a base hit. But this, you know, this wasn't it. And, again, Brad's kind of scuffing a little bit. I, I still got a lot of confidence in Brad. But um, he's just not really seeing the baseball real well right now. All right, so two outs, and then Forsyth rips a single back up the middle to extend the inning. Nice two-out base hit here, and leads to a run for us. Jaeger's then hit by the pitch, and then Cam James on a 2-2 count pulls a double inside the bag at third. Forsyth scores. Jaeger goes to third, and now all of a sudden you got, again, you've tied the game, and you've got two, two, two runners in scoring position with Luke Hancock up there. Luke's not able to come through here. Uh, and that's the thing you think about in these situations. You know, when it starts to be closing time, this is when we need the big hit. So Cam gets it done for us. If Luke gets a hit right here, it's probably a different ball game. It's a different conversation today. Even though we end up winning the ball game, it's like they, these, these are the hits we got to get. So you give State credit for the for two of the two out hits in the inning. Forsyth, of course, gets a hit, and then Cam gets a hit. I mean, not everybody's going to be able to hit with two outs, but uh, we were able to kind of string some things together, uh, a two-out rally there to, to tie the ball game. You know, it's this big. All right, Brooks Auger comes in for the seventh. I'm a man of Brooks Auger fan. I know that, um, you know, he didn't have a great outing over the weekend, but, um, you know, Brooks is a guy that we know that we can count on. One, two, three inning for him. He gets Hunter to strike out swinging, gets Bugs to fly out the second, and then Mullen strikes out swinging. So one, two, three there for for uh, for Brooks. Bottom of seven, they make a pitching change, and you know maybe they're going to throw Moser this weekend. Uh, you know, I know again, I know we put together a couple of hits against him late, but uh, that kid's got some stuff. And then Sewell comes in and gets uh, three ground outs, really getting under some barrels here. LT grounds out to third on the very first pitch. It was a close play. Really was nice play by the third baseman there, uh, and then Hines grounds out the second, offered and grounds out to the pitcher. Yes, putting the ball in play, but I uh, didn't get anything out of the infield in that inning. Top of eight, we bring in Jackson Fristo. 
Now, Jackson has kind of been feast or famine. You know, he had a really good week. You know, he pitched really well at Memphis and which pitched well at Arkansas and then, you know, had the blown save against LSU. You know, it's kind of like the kid that has a car wreck, right? It's like, oh, well, you, you have a car wreck, whatever, and then, um, you know, as soon as you can get him back in a car, you need to do it. You know, because if not, the mental aspect of this kind of begins to, you know, to kind of balloon a little bit and cause all this anxiety. You got to get back on the horse, man. It's just how life works. Got him back out there. Really good inning here in the eighth. Got a strikeout of Willoughby. Sears flies out to left and Hall grounds out to second. That's a, that's a big out, too. Again, that's kind of a pro hitter right there. All right, bottom of eight. We have a chance here. We have a chance to kind of make some things happen. Kellum Clark flies out to center field. A very lengthy at bat. Very, very lengthy. We, it's, it is a one-two count. And we end up working it full. Fouled off a couple of uh, two-two pitches to kind of get the pitch we want. We end up flying out to center, uh, not hating on the bat at all, not at all. I mean, he had seen basically everything that he could see, and I I just didn't think that he was going to be able to finish Kellum, and and uh, and he wasn't. He was you know Kellum actually hit the baseball really well here, just got under it a little bit. Uh, then they walk Downs, Aaron Downs pinch hits for Brad. And um, we get a walk there. So now all of a sudden you've got, you know, the go-ahead run on base. You start thinking, man, if we can come through here and just close it out in the ninth, we can go home happy. Well, they make a pitching change. You know, Bray comes in uh, to pinch run for Aaron Downs. And then lo and behold, it's Lane Forsythe coming up again. Single back up the box. Sends Bray to second. Jaeger flies out to right. And uh, we run the double steal here to get two men in scoring position, remove the possibility of a force anywhere but first, and then Cam grounds out to the shortstop. You know, again, a, a chance for us here, and I'm not going to hate on Cameron James. He came up, I guess, what, three times in runners in scoring positions and came through twice. Uh, this time he didn't. You know, nobody hits 1,000. But, again, this is a missed opportunity for us. All right, so top of nine, we go down here and, uh, you know, what's a cardinal sin for a reliever? You walk the leadoff hitter. It's the ninth inning, and we walk Floyd on four pitches. And I didn't think any of them were really close. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not going back to the screen, but they weren't competitive pitches. And you know, that's the thing, too, with Fristo. You know, maybe the moment is a little bit big for him. You know, maybe he's thinking in the back of his mind, you know, here we go again. Maybe. I don't know that. But, when, you know, when you have a situation like he had on Friday – you know, you got to you know, find a way to, to flush that. And maybe he hadn't been able to do that. So we walk the leadoff guy, and then immediately Braunschweig makes us pay and doubles down the left field line. And that, and that ball was hit really well. Now you got runners at second and third with nobody out. Now all of a sudden you start thinking, we're going to lose this ball game. We have danced around this thing all night long. And we're fixing to lose this ball game. And we've actually, at this point, had actually pitched it pretty well. And we're going to lose the ball game. The bullpen's going to let us down again. That, that was the prevailing sentiment in Duty Noble Field at this point in the ball game. Golda comes through with a double down the right field line. Both runners score. It is now 5-3. And then there is the, you know, they, they get the bunt down and we're not able to do anything with that. Now, all of a sudden, you got runners at first and third and still nobody out. Two runs are home, two men are on, and nobody's out. We bring in KC Hunt, who I think has to be the closer going forward. I don't. I, I think the one thing I'll say about KC, 
and this is not in any way to show, to you know be detrimental to anybody else. I just think KC has a little bit of toughness about him. I think in these situations, you've got to have a guy that understands what it takes. Now, it, maybe it doesn't hurt that he's Landon Sims' roommate. So maybe Landon could kind of help him mentally prepare you know, for these situations. But he was awfully prepared last night. He gets Bugs to strike out swinging. Gets Mullins to strike out looking. A very lengthy at bat. And uh, Mullins actually thought he had to walk there, and he didn't. But how many times have you seen it, you know, where a guy just can't finish a hitter and he ultimately gives in to him or just walks him to kind of advance the, you know, the, the game? But you hang in here and you finish the guy and you get the punch out. Now all of a sudden you know, we can play big infield and get out of here and we get a ground out to third. Uh, pretty interesting, you know. Um, and we, if, if I remember this correctly, we um, – let me think here for a second. We had the punch out here. We had one – I think it was in the ninth. Where we had the um, we had the strikeout, and then Luke couldn't find the baseball. And the guy advances, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go. And then Willoughby grounds out third to get out of it. But uh, I thought KC showed some real poise there in the ninth. Bottom of nine. Just when we think all is lost. Luke Hancock comes in with a leadoff single. Now, all of a sudden, you know you're going to be able to bring the time run to the plate. LT flies out the center and hit a ball really well. I mean, if he pulls that ball just a little bit, it's a home run. He hit it to the biggest part of the ballpark, and it kind of stayed up uh, for the center fielder. For that. So now you got you know one down in the inning, and Hunter Hines comes up. And Hunter is a guy, and, and uh, I think that Lamonis touched on it last night. It's like some guys struggle, so they just swing harder, and that's just not how life works in baseball. If you remember early in the year when Hunter first kind of emerged as a star, he was using all fields. That's what he does here. He takes that fastball away, and he knocks it over the left field wall on an 0-1 count to tie the game. We talk about the clutch, Gene, and we had this discussion on Gene's page yesterday, and I know some people disagree with me, and I am perfectly okay with you being wrong, 100%, because I'm right about this, not just because I have lived it as a player as a coach, as a journalist, and as a baseball parent, let me just share this with you. And it's so, so short-sighted sometimes. You know, we talk about, you know, clutch. Uh, just, you know, either you have it or you don't. It's not. It's completely false. That is completely false. Now, are there some people that are more comfortable in those moments? Absolutely. But why are they more comfortable? You know, sometimes it's about confidence, right? Well, what gives you confidence? Experience. Preparation. As I mentioned on the jeanspage.com message board yesterday, Michael Jordan didn't even make his high school team as a freshman, but he was born with it? No. He used that to motivate him, and he got back in the gym, and he worked harder than he ever worked, and then he became one of the best basketball prospects in the country and ultimately the greatest basketball player of all time. So, yeah, he was born with some natural attributes, but he improved as a player. Let's look a little closer to home. If memory serves me correct, I looked his numbers up yesterday. Do you remember how non-clutch Tanner Allen was in 2018? You remember all that? I do. I don't have this revisionist history. He struck out 62 times that year. And he didn't play every day in the beginning. He struck out 62 times. We didn't have anybody else in the 50s. He was number one with a bullet 
And what did he strike out 35 times last year and becomes a national player of the year? You don't think he improved and got better? So every time these situations come up, people are going to come through. You don't think Connor Hines is going to be more comfortable with, you know, two outs in the ninth and the game on the line because of the two big tanks he's hit this year to tie ball games? Of course he is because he's done it. If you've never been in that situation before, you're not going to feel it. You're not going to understand it. But now that you know what it feels like, the game slows down for you a little bit. So, again, and I don't all these notifications drive me crazy. Uh, but Hunter hits the home run there and ties the game at 5-5. And at this point, I thought we were going to win. I didn't think there was any question. You don't come back from that, that dramatically after you've basically, you know, kind of thrown it in the fire and pulled it out and walk away a loser. It just really works out that way. And, again, that's just playing baseball the right way. And baseball guys will smile on you when you do. You don't try to pull that outside fastball because what you do is end up getting a big routine F8. You hit it where it is, and you hammer it. That's what Hunter Hines did. That gives him 10 on the year, which is the team lead. Offered and grounds out to third, and then uh, Clark strikes out looking. And, again, we strike out looking here, and we kind of leave our bat on our shoulder. But, again, it's a very lengthy at bat. We get down to 0-2. We work it back full. Um and then we take a, a breaking ball. The changeup for breaking ball, uh, it was a strike. I checked with our track man people just to be sure. And what I'll say about that, too, is, listen, I know nobody wants to have the awkward strikeout, you know, but we got to get, get a cutoff here. We got, we got to, even if you get fooled on the pitch, we got to try to foul it back. You got to. And it's easier said than done, trust me. I get it. But when you don't swing, you don't give us a chance. But, again, a lengthy at bat. I think Kellum's seeing the baseball well. And, again, I'll say it again. I think he's on the verge of breaking out. All right, top ten. Sears singles to right field. So, right out of the gate, they get a leadoff runner on. They pinch run for him. They get a ground out to short. The runner takes second. We, we thought we may have a chance to get two there, but um, just not really a play there at second. And we get a punch out of Floyd. You know, Floyd's come up in some big situations, too. We think it only happens to us. Floyd comes up here trying to advance innings and strikes out a couple times in this ballgame. Braunschweig has a little clutch in him. This is when we have the strikeout here. I missed this. It wasn't the ninth. It was a tenth. We have him struck out swinging, and uh, they rule the, the wild pitch, and uh, we don't get him at first. And next thing you know, we do come back. Rather than fold, even though we have a runner on here, we've got a runner at third. You know, The go-ahead run is at 90 feet away from home. We get Golda, who had the big hit earlier, to strike out swinging on three pitches. Very efficient, very professional, very, very clutch for Casey Hunt. Bottom of 10, State puts this thing away. Happy to see this happen. All right, so bottom of 10 here. So we open up with Skinner striking out swinging, and uh, wasn't a bad at bat. I mean, the strikeout itself wasn't great, but uh, we take a couple pitches, and then uh, next thing you know, it's a 2-2 count, and uh, we do swing the bat once, and it is a strikeout. And that's kind of the Brave Skinner experience. I mean, this is a guy that's, you know, he's fleet of foot. He's a good defender. He's not a great hitter. Has just two hits on the, on the year. Um, appreciate his contributions to Bulldog baseball. But, he's just, you know, he's just not a guy in these situations that you're just going to be able to count on. Lane, though, suddenly hot, burning hot, and Fuego, Lane Forsyth, singles back up the middle here, his fourth hit of the evening. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the winning run on base. And then they decide to try to pick him off. They change pitchers and bring in Bach. And then he 
tries to throw over to first and throws inside. And the first baseman actually laid on lane for a second. And then Landon Sam's just screaming for him to go. And he gets up and takes second and third. So now all of a sudden, you've got the winning run at third with one out. So we just need anything here. Just give me a routine ground ball to the right side. Of course, they're going to play the infield in, but you can push one through. Uh, Or give me a routine fly ball. Bring the outfield in. And what do they do? They end up walking RJ. And that wasn't the worst thing. I mean, if you look at it from their point of view. Well, now all of a sudden, I've set up a double play. Well, it doesn't work out for him because Cam James uh, steps in and uh, hits a routine fly ball out to right center, probably the shortest sacrifice fly he'll ever have. And uh, the throw up the line, Lane scores without much trepidation. Bulldogs walk off. We did not play well. We did not. We did do some good situational hitting. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. But we did not play well. And we still managed to win this ball game. And uh, there have been times this year when that just wouldn't have been the case. We showed some fight. 
And uh, let's go ahead and award our Prime Shrimp Player of the Game Award. I don't think there's any question who it is. It's Lane Forsythe. Lane Forsythe, a guy that absolutely had the, one of the best games he's had in a Mississippi State uniform. Really good defensively, and then uh, a great job at the plate. And uh, doing a great job also is PrimeShrimp.com. Be sure to go check them out today, PrimeShrimp.com. Four great flavors. I'm kind of on the French Quarter Alfredo right now because it's so easy. You know what I mean? Like you can boil your pot of noodles, and then you've got a second pot there of your, uh, of your shrimp. You know, it takes 10 minutes. You just boil the water, open the pouch, and dump them in. There's no prep or there's no messy cleanup or anything like that. And then by the time the noodles are done and thick, you can just pour your, uh, your Alfredo shrimp over the top, your French Quarter Alfredo shrimp, a great topper for that. Uh, and the Simply Seasoned is outstanding, too. You know, and there's just so many. There's four great options for you to choose from. Uh, be sure to use promo code Boneyard. Go to PrimeShrimp.com today. You'll be glad you did. Delivered right to your home very, very quickly, too. They get them in and out very quick. And it's so well packaged. You don't have to worry about your shrimp sitting out all day, even in the Mississippi heat, because it is so well packaged and cooled. And get those bad boys in the house, and you can have great shrimp from a New Orleans-based shrimping company uh, tonight, uh, tonight for dinner. Incredible. PrimeShrimp.com. Promo code Boneyard to save a little money on that first offer. Be, you'll be glad you did. Trust me on this. I don't do business with people that I don't that I don't appreciate their products. This is one of them for sure. PrimeShrimp.com. Matter of fact, uh, I'll have some uh, tomorrow, I guess. But uh, looking like at, at Lane, I mean Lane was a catalyst last night. Four for five, and the one time he didn't, of course, was the fielder's choice early. They had it. We had a scoring issue. They had initially had him as four for four. But the first at bat, you know, when he hits the ball uh, back to the pitcher and they, they take Cumbus out of play, that is a fielder's choice, and that is the right call. You can't go back and change that. But uh, Lane, a big night, two runs scored, including the game winner. Easy call for the prime shrimp player of the game. But, uh, you know, looking up and down the order, you know, the only guy that didn't get a hit uh, among his daughters was Kellum Clark and didn't have, really have a bat at bat. You know, that's how baseball is sometimes. You know, he, he, he didn't appear to be struggling to play like he's seen the baseball really well other than that late punch out I mean I thought Kellum actually hit the baseball really well and it's just a matter of time uh, you know before he gets going but um, Luke Hancock two for five uh, Logan Tanner two for five Hunter Hines two for five and of course the big home run there but uh, and Slade Offord you know gets a, a hit and scores a run as well uh, State left 11 on base last night and again that that has become kind of a recurring theme when we get guys on we got to get them in that's not going to work as we get against Auburn we're going to have to find a way. Uh, Auburn, not a, an elite offensive team, but they're pitching it really, really well. Really, really well. Real quickly, too, just to talk about Lane Forsythe, too. We talk about the, you know, the jumps and that sort of stuff and all things that happen. Uh, there's just a lot that goes into this stuff, you know, looking at, at the batting average and that sort of stuff. So, you know, coming into last night, Lane's hitting 224. And that's actually up. You know, when we, got, when we, when we beat Southern – University, he was hitting a buck fifty-six, and that was up from hitting a buck thirty-three. You know, it's like he has hovered under the Mendoza line most much of the year. He goes to Arkansas, has a couple of hits out there. All of a sudden, he plays a little bit at LSU. You know, has a little success there, and then last night his average jumps fifty-four points from two twenty-four to two seventy-eight. Now, listen, there's a little up and down with all this, okay? But uh, you know, four for five, four for five. Uh, that that'll, that dog will hunt right there. So hopefully he can keep it up. Now hitting 278. 278. So keep it going, Lane. 
good to see him get it going. And, uh, and listen, we're going to need him and Leg both. You know, it's not – it's like they're both our guys, right? I mean, no matter who you prefer, they're both our guys, and we're going to be uh, counting on both of them uh, to, uh, to help us advance this season. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by my friend and your friend – Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, closewithblair.com. Blair is one of those guys, too, that, um, you know, he has been in the industry for 21 years. He is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people that are in the mortgage business. Blair's a mortgage professional. This is a guy that knows the ins and outs of the industry. And maybe you're kind of a scratch and dent borrower. You know, and I got ready to buy my house up here. You know, I've been self-employed all these years. And so it's like you look at it and say, well, you know, it can be a little bit complicated. It can be a little complicated. And it was. But thankfully, I had a mortgage uh, professional to help me. Somebody like Blair Chandler. And he works for Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction in mortgage lending. So you got the best guy from the best company doing the best job. Visit him today. Whether you're looking to refinance your home or possibly get some cash out consolidate some debt. Maybe you're looking to buy a house. Maybe you've been told no in the past. You think, you know what? I'm a good person doing the best I can. I work every day. I'm just, I'd like to have the dream of home ownership. Well, give Blair a chance to serve you. And listen, I know it's difficult. You know, you think, man, this is never going to happen for me. I'm telling you, if, if anybody can make it happen, it's Blair Chandler. Give him a call or text today. It's 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And uh, if you mention to Blair that you heard about him on the Boneyard, he is going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value. That's pretty cool right there. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage. And so when you get somebody that can save you a little jack, it makes perfect sense to work with them. And uh, not to mention, you just want to kind of keep in the family. Again, that's closedwithblair.com. All right. We didn't do our uh, top 10 album list on Monday. We're going to do it today. You know, I was, I, I didn't know that I was ready for that on Monday. I needed a day of healing after seeing the uh, Bulldog get swept by LSU. I still, it just, it hurts the throat to even utter that phrase. Ugh, I hate it. So we're going to go back to something that I love. And me, and you guys love it too. And then, and then the fact, like, if you tell your kids that you listen to this band, they're going to think you were cool because of their recent return to the forefront of the rock scene. We're talking Motley Crue. That's right. I actually had somebody hit me up yesterday and said, hey, Steve, I'm trying to find that early Motley Crue list. And we've done a couple Motley Crue lists. We did the Motley Crue Top 10, then we did the Motley Crue Side Projects. So today we're going to rank the Top 10 Motley Crue albums. Now, there were nine studio albums, and there, there's talk of a tenth one, maybe. We'll see. But we also had the Dirt soundtrack, which was uh, basically a greatest hits album that was uh, remastered, but they did have three other original tunes on there. So we're going to include that as the number 10 album, The Dirt. And again, you had the great cover of Madonna's Like a Virgin, which is kind of interesting considering that uh, they were contemporaries at the time on opposite ends of the musical spectrum. Uh, but Motley covers Like a Virgin. That's not your song there. We're going to go with The Dirt that actually had Machine Gun Kelly uh, doing a bit of a rock rap type deal on it. It is a great tune, and uh, the the mastering of the sound is a little bit different. You know, like when, when, I, when I listened to it in my stock radio, it, it didn't sound nearly as good as it does now since I've upgraded some things. But, uh, you know, The Dirt is a great track 
And I think that it would – I've watched that Netflix movie, I don't know, maybe 15 times or so. I, and sometimes when I'm just looking for something to watch and I'm, and late at night when I'm like, I don't want to get into a series. I just want to watch like some debauchery and some silliness. I put on The Dirt from Motley Crue. It's out, outstanding. So the number 10 Motley album is The Dirt soundtrack. And that's not in any way – to. it's kind of a technicality. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to say it's a bad album. It is a great listen because it's got many of your favorite hits on it. But I can't – take a compilation album and move it ahead of these studio albums. So that's that's your number 10 album, The Dirt. And the song is the soundtrack uh, single, The Dirt. Okay, number nine. And to me, this is the the this is the worst Motley Crue album. And I hate to even say it that way. Things were so disjointed at the time, right? So Vince had left the band. Vince says he was fired. And uh, based on what I know about those guys, I would say that's probably the case. Nicky probably fired him. Um Nikki says Vince quit. Vince says Nikki fired him. Nikki is the leader of Motley Crue. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna actually even though Nikki's my hero, I'm gonna go with Vince's version of events because that sounds exactly like what Nikki would do. And then some of the things they said afterwards made perfect sense. But so they cut a self-titled album that is a little bit later in the chart. And so this is the first album, you know, as everybody kind of gets back together, and it was very disjointed. And I think part of it is because Karabi had written some of this. Um, and quite frankly, I don't think Tommy Lee wanted to be back in a band with Vince Neil. And I think it showed in the music. You know, Tommy has said many times that he felt the self-titled album with Karabi is some of the best work they've ever done. I agree. And I think that there was uh, some bitterness. And I think the tension within the band really showed in this album, Generation Swine. The, the, the track that I went with was Afraid, which is really one of the only shiny moments on the album. There are a couple of good tracks on here. It's almost like Motley tried to be punk, and it just didn't work. It just didn't come off. They weren't true to themselves, and I think they just kind of threw this thing together and said, hey, Motley's back with the original singer. Let's go get out on the road and sell a bunch, a bunch of shirts. And um, it just didn't work out. Well, I, again, I, I think the album comes up really short. Number eight, this was a step in the right direction. And it's the album New Tattoo. And I'm going to go with a deeper track off this album. I know many people like, you know, well, Steve, there's, uh, you know, Hell on High Heels. And, and it's cute. It is. I, I didn't think Vince vocally was really strong on that one. But my favorite song on the New Tattoo album was not even a single. It's a deeper track. And it's Punched in the Teeth by Love. I think this is, to me, is a lot more consistent with the classic Motley sound. I love McMars opening riff on this. I think it is probably one of the more underappreciated songs in the Motley catalog. So we're going Punching the Teeth by Love off a new tattoo album. Number seven, another good album, I thought. Um, you know, I think it's one of those, again, it's a step in the right direction, and it's the uh, Saints of Los Angeles. I really like the title track. That's your song today, Saints of Los Angeles. And again, I think again, I think Vince had kind of recaptured some things here. But the Saints of Los Angeles was supposed to be, you know, the last album. And I actually have, uh, you know, Motley Crue leg sleeve, and I've got that sola on my leg. You know, Saints of Los Angeles. But um, I think that uh, there was some high marks on this album, and I do think again it showed maybe Motley was a little more committed, and it was much better than the recent albums they had put out in its entirety. And there's some good tracks on this album, too, that uh, you never hear on the radio. You know, uh, those are things that I think about when I look at, you know, some of these 
albums because like you know, a, a single is supposed to be an advertisement for the rest of the album I could say, oh well I'm gonna go buy that album or download that album which you know whatever but um, you know when I, I think about this Saints of Los Angeles album I mean you've got um, you know face down in the dirt is great what's it gonna take to make it is great and of course sounds of uh, Los Angeles and the the animal and me I think is pretty decent chicks equal trouble is great white trash circus is great uh, this ain't a love song was um, was a single for them too so again I think it's of the later albums it is the better album now number six a lot of controversy about this album and it's the uh, number six album is the self-titled album with John Karabi I know many of you that are going to message me and say Steve no you're wrong about this I am not wrong you're welcome to your opinion I am not wrong the self-titled Motley Crue album is a great rock and roll record great and a lot of people just kind of panned it because it didn't have Vince Neil on it oh it's not really Motley no it's Motley it's just a different kind of Motley but this is a great album and in, in fact I think because of this album when Vince rejoined the band I think they lost a little bit of the magic in the next couple of albums because I think Tommy and Mick and those guys were, were kind of happy with the direction of Karabi. The problem was is you guys just wouldn't support it. And the record company kind of called in the marker and said, you guys, we, you know, we can't keep Karabi. And I'm a John Karabi fan. As I sit here right now, I've got a collection of John Karabi picks. I've got a John Karabi shirt. And I'm not wearing it right now, but uh, I actually met John a couple times. And uh, when he was a rhythm guitar player in Rat, I'm right down front, got my Dr. Feelgood shirt on, John gives me a pick. And um, great guy, for sure. And I loved his work with The Scream, and uh, one of my favorite rock albums uh, from the early 90s. It's difficult to find. But that, if you can find it, download it, listen to it, you'll be glad you did. But I, when I found out that John Karabi was joining Motley, I was like, man, this is going to be interesting. And it was. There are so many great songs on that album. My favorite one is not the one on the list today. My favorite song on that album is Till Death Do Us Part. It is incredible. And I think Living in the Know is great. There's so many good, Uncle Jack is great. Uncle Jack is a Karabi song about an uncle of his that uh, was, a, was a predator. You know, there's just, there's a lot of things on there. The album is very vulnerable. I think it's some of Nikki's best work too. And I think that John Karabi, the fact that he was a guitar player, uh, made it a little bit easier, you know, for Mick to be a little more out of the box so I think the album worked you guys didn't support it I did but Hooligans Holiday that's your number six song Hooligans Holiday which is in your face I love it so much all right number five you know we're down to basically the five albums that made Motley famous and uh, I you know, as the definitive Motley Crue expert in the state of Mississippi and perhaps the world I believe the order in which I have these albums I think this is really non-negotiable Number five is Theater of Pain. This is another album that was in, in many ways kind of disjointed. There wasn't a lot of hits on this album. I, I dug it, you know, because I was a kid. Motley was my heroes. You know, when you go back in hindsight, some of it doesn't hold up. You know, I, 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 that song, We Need Lover Tonight, I think is an, an absolute banger. People don't talk about it. You know, Tonight is great. Use it or lose it. Very, very catchy for the time. But I think the production value of the original album was not as good as it should have been. There was so much pressure, of course, and you had all these events, had all these legal problems, and there was all this stuff going on, and we didn't know if the band was going to continue. And then we finally get the album out, 
and uh, the great cover of Smoking in the Boys Room. I mean, it's like that video was played on MTV like once an hour. And then all of a sudden, Motley, you know, with all their neon clothes and stuff, became, you know, really headliners. You know, they'd open for Ozzy. Now, all of a sudden, Motley was one of the biggest bands in the world. And this really wasn't one of their better albums. It's, it's a good album. It's not a great album. But we got to go with the classic Home Sweet Home. How can you have a list of, uh, of Motley songs without Home Sweet Home? So number five is the Theater of Pain album and then Home Sweet Home. And again, I think there are some... There's a little bit of filler on this album. I think a lot of it's because there was so much pressure to get an album out that it kind of comes off a little bit unfinished. Number four, and this is an album that really pulled a lot of people into Modley. And this is like, at this point in my life, I was kind of finding like some heavier music. I was still true to the crew. But, you know, I was kind of getting into some more obscure things, you know, like the Sea Hags and Bang Tango and uh, Shotgun Messiah. It's like, you know, when, when all the preps started liking kind of regular radio metal, I kind of went the other direction, you know, I, but I was still true to the crew. Uh, but number four is uh, the Girls, Girls, Girls album. I know some people are going to say, Steve, that's impossible. Girls, 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 incredible album. It is really, really good. It is really, really good. And I would venture to say, in some respects, bordering on greatness. And I thought it was, ve- I think it's much better than Theater of Pain. Much better. Consistency from start to finish. Some great tracks on this album. Uh, many of you would go with the title track, and I love that song too. I think it is an iconic song, one of those anthemic songs that everybody knows, girls, 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 and don't we all love that? But I went with Wild Side. I think Wild Side is my favorite song on the Girls, Girls, Girls album, and there's some good ones on there. I mean, of course, you've got you know, Bad Boy Boogie and Dancing on Glass. Uh, You're All I Need was banned from MTV. You know, that, that's the song about a guy that kills his girlfriend, and, you know, it's it's a, it's a very interesting album, but it also kind of showed that Motley had some staying power. There are a lot of people that are just, you know, just flashing the, uh, you know, the VO5 pan, but uh, Motley, when they came back with Girls, Girls, Girls and kind of capitalized on Theater of Pain, and they go back to the black leather and that sort of stuff. We kind of get out of the neon stuff, the spandex pants. And so I think people said, you know what, these guys are really going to be here to stay. Number three, we're going back to the beginning. Now, Elektra didn't do these guys a solid with the production value of the very first album. I think a lot of it, too, like, the, honestly, many of the songs on the first album are as good as the songs on the second album. But because Motley had hit the road and built a following, they put more money as a record company behind the follow-up, Shout Out the Devil. But Too Fast for Love was a great album, uh, and, you know, of course, you go back and listen to Too Fast for Love, and you can hear the vocal parts uh, are probably not mixed very well. But when you go back and listen to the remastered stuff, it sounds a little bit better. But Vince was still kind of finding his voice at this point. But the best song on this album, and there, there are so many good ones. Like, I, you know, I like Come On and Dance. I think it's a great little track. Too Fast for Love is great, too. But Live Wire, to me, is the shining moment on the Too Fast for Love album. I, I wish, in many respects that when they had recorded this, that Elektra would have really put in some money behind this because I think the production value of the album, even in the remastered, kind of holds some of these songs back. They're great tracks, and they come off live, but I think the album itself, because Elektra maybe went a little bit on the cheap, could have been better. Number two is Dr. Feelgood. The Dr. Feelgood album, and there was so much, you know, listen, Vince had had the rack and Razzle had died, Nikki uh, had died, had overdosed on heroin. 
multiple times in and out of rehab. And so this was Motley's first attempt at being a, a band of sobriety. Uh, and so I think it showed. I think the Dr. Feelgood album from start to finish is outstanding. There are a couple songs on there lyrically they're a little bit uh, you know lacking. But by and large, I thought Motley again showed that, you know what, we're the biggest band in the world. So we come out with Too Fast for Love, and then we capitalize on that with Shout at the Devil. Now all of a sudden, we're open for Ozzy. We're playing arenas. We're no longer in clubs. Then you had Theater of Pain. It was a little bit disjointed. And then you take a big step forward with Girls, 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 and then you capitalize on that with Feel Good, which I thought was outstanding. And I know many of you said, well, Steve, you're going to peak because of Pico. Uh, Con, he's going to go with um, Kickstart My Heart. And that would be a good pick, but I'm not. I could have gone with uh, another slice of your pie. Could have gone with that one, but I didn't. I went with Dr. Feelgood. There's just something about this song that makes me move. I think it's one of Nikki's shining moments as the bass player of Motley Crue. I love the tuning on this. I love how in the pocket the sound is. It is a big, big sound because of how great uh, the bass is on this. I think Tommy... And uh, Nick, you do a great job as a rhythm section. So Dr. Feelgood is your number two track, and that is your number two album, which leaves number one. It's a Shout at the Devil album, which is the one that really showed Motley Crue was more than just a club band that they were ready to take on the world, and they did. And I don't think there's a bad album. In fact, you go back and look at all these Motley albums. I mean, you got you got some covers on these albums, and uh, I thought their version of Helter Skelter uh, was really good and really kind of a reverent and in your face a little bit. And I thought Vince really found his voice on this album. But I, you know, my favorite song on the album, and there are a bunch of them, I and mean, it's like depending on what day you ask me, my number two might change. Of course, Shout the Devil was really good. Red Hot is amazing. Tommy's uh, double bass on that kind of set a new era in music in many respects. Uh, Ten Seconds to Love is phenomenal. Knock em Dead Kid is one that I listen to at high volume on regular occasions. But I went with Looks a Kill, which is my favorite Motley Crue song of all time, and uh, this is my favorite album and it is my list and my show. But uh, I think this list will promote some discussion because there are a lot of people out there that don't know the back end of this catalog, and for good reason, to be quite honest with you. I mean, it, you, don't, you don't have the same level of production. You don't have the same level of support. But also, too, I, I just think that, you know, the, the albums themselves are a little bit thinner. And, uh, on, you know, it's true crew heads. You know, like, hey, we, we love them. But even me as a guy that uh, has got a Motley Crue leg sleeve and a Motley Crue license plate and uh, a bunch of Motley Crue memorabilia, I can tell you that uh, there were some weaker moments after Vince came to the band, and I'm looking forward to seeing these guys on the stadium tour uh, later, later this year. I wasn't sure I'd ever see them again. So that's your top ten Motley albums. I hope you guys can dig it. Uh, I think most people would probably agree with our order here, but uh, I look forward to getting your feedback. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. You can find me on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Or you can go right to the uh, keeper of the list, Roy Samante, at Dogmatic67. That's, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And you can find him on Twitter and uh, DM him directly. And then, of course, uh, if you're looking for the list, you can find him on Spotify. Search for uh, Dogmatic67 there. And then our friend Izzy Mandelbaum doing a great job, doing, doing the Lord's work, putting it on Apple Music for everybody too. And so it's been, been incredible. It really has been incredible to see how this thing has uh, transformed. And uh, you guys are digging the top 10 albums too, which I think is kind of interesting too. It gives us a chance to go back and revisit, you know, some great list. But um, excited about this one. And um, since I was in a better mood, I thought, you know what, hey, let's go with what we know. So Molly Crew, in your face.
All right, next segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. If you haven't been in there, you're gonna you're missing service with a smile. Great selection, great product, great pricing. The thing that I love too is like if I ever need anything Mississippi State related, I can find it at Campus Bookmart. And if they don't have it, they can get it. Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, doing a great job for a great fan base, delivering great. Mississippi State merch, if you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a Loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. You'll be glad you have that code. Because you know, the, more you, the more you buy, the more expensive the shipping is. Load up on Mississippi State merch. Football season will be here before you know it. Summertime is here. You need some short sleeve shirts. You need some tanks. You need some hats. Get that M over ass cap. You need to get one basically every year. You really do. And be glad you did. Campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right. I'm going to broach a topic today that might be somewhat controversial. And say, Steve, why are we talking about this now? Well, I'm talking about it because you guys are talking about it. I'm, I'm pretty in tune with what happens on social media. I know what you guys are saying. And sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. But sometimes we have some uninformed takes. And so I thought, let, let's prepare. I spent several hours working on this yesterday in anticipation of the show. And at some point, I'll write this article when I feel like it's timely. We won last night, so it's not, uh, it's not the time. We're going to ride the wave, but we are going to talk about this. I've read many of you, your biggest fear right now as it relates to Mississippi State baseball is that we're not going to make the tournament. You know what? I, I have the same fear. I do. It's one of those things I think about. It's like, you know, I don't want to have to live with that. It's like, well, other people are going to say, I don't care what other people say. It's my own personal expectations for Mississippi State baseball. It's something we've always been proud of. And it's like, you know, you always think, okay, we've been to Omaha three years in a row. Maybe we're a little bit spoiled and maybe we have forgotten how special it is to get there because we've done it so regularly. I mean, it's incredible to think about, you know, what the last decade has brought in Mississippi State baseball. We've played for an AFL championship twice. We've won an SEC championship. Been in Super Regions, what, five, six times now in the last ten years? I mean, you go all the way back, you know, we, we lose to Arizona in 16 as a national seed. We scratch and claw and get to LSU in 17. 18, of course, we win a Super Regional and we get to Omaha. We beat Vanderbilt in Nashville. 19, we do it again, win a Super Regional against Stanford. No tournament in 20, which we'd, we'd have done it then too. We had a good team. We lose Foscue and Westburg and then get back there in 2021 and win the whole thing. And so it's like, you know, there's this new generation of Bulldog fans that's kind of seeing unprecedented success. And sometimes we lose a little bit of context. And so I wanted to provide some today. A lot of people said, Steve, if we don't make the tournament, it'll be the first time it's ever happened. And that is so incredibly wrong. It's wrong. I'm not in any way trying to defend it. But it's not a rarity that a team wins an AFL championship and then goes back and repeats. There have been nine repeat champions in the history of college baseball. We started having the College World Series in 1947. And there was a repeat in 1949. Texas wins in 49 and 50. USC then puts a string together of five straight. That's pretty impressive, right? 
Then you get to Stanford in 87 and 88. I mean, we went all the way from 74 to 77 to 88 before we had another repeat champion. So Stanford goes back to back in 87, 88. And then LSU, 96, 97. Oregon State, back to back 86, excuse me, 2006 and 2007. And South Carolina does again in 10 and 11 and then played again a little bit later for an NFL championship. Pretty crazy. Um, and so those are the only times that you've had repeat champions. You know, so the odds of us repeating were pretty soon to begin with. Now, did I think we had a chance? I absolutely did. And here's the thing, too. Here's the hot take today. I think we still do. And the numbers kind of support that if we can make the tournament. Here's what's astounding. Is so we have crowned 74 NFL champions in college baseball. 45, just 45 of them made the tournament the next year. So basically just over a third of national championship teams didn't make the tournament the next year. Did you expect the number to be that high? You probably didn't. And, and just to kind of go back to it, it's been more regular and modern in the modern era. But let's say the first 20 years or so of the College World Series, you had 15 teams that won it that went back the next year. Excuse me. Excuse me. That's incorrect. You had five teams that won it that went to the tournament the next year. So 15 of 20 basically 21 NAFL champions. I guess you can go even further. You can go all the way from 69. So from 1947 to 1969, only five teams that won an NAFL championship were even in the tournament the next year. Now, granted, back in those days, you had a lot more senior-laden teams. So teams kind of build and build and build and build and build, and they get to be seniors because old wins in college baseball – well, then you, you reach the end of a talent cycle, so you're starting over. And that was really the case in the first, you know, third of the history of the College World Series. The teams that did go back, the 48 SC team and, of course, the 49 Texas team, because they repeated. 59 Oklahoma State wins it. They actually made it back to the College World Series. And then USC in 63, Ohio State in 66. A pretty good run there. But you had some really impressive programs that put together great runs and then win a title and then don't get back. And then things began to change in the 1970s. People began to really care more about college baseball. Um, so, you know, of course, SC, of course, dominated the first half of the 70s. But from the 1970s, if you won an AFL championship, you were going back to the tournament. 80% of the time. There are only two champions in the 1970s that won it all and then didn't make the tournament afterwards. And most of them made it back to Omaha. Most of them. And, of course, that's skewed by the, the SC's unprecedented run at college baseball. You get to the 1980s, and, again, it's similar in many respects. If you won a championship in the 1980s, you went back to the tournament seven out of ten times. Seven out of ten. And, of course, Stanford repeated – and then the next year didn't make it back to the tournament. Um, and that's, again, you kind of reach the end of a talent cycle. Cal State Fullerton, you know, won it in, in 84 and didn't make the tournament. But in the 80s, when you won it, seven out of ten times you made it back. In the 1990s, kind of unprecedented success here for college baseball. Teams that won the NAFL championship in the 90s, nine out of ten times went back to the tournament. The one time they didn't, our friends at Georgia. And when I talked about that recently, I don't want to be Georgia. They're a team that just kind of caught a magic moment. 
And they weren't a great college baseball program before that. It just kind of came together for them. The only team in the 90s to win an AFL championship, to not advance back to the tournament in a repeat year, was Georgia. But it happens. 2000, and again, it, it kind of begins to be a consistent theme here. The teams that win it all traditionally go back. In the 2000s, from 2000 to 2009, 9 out of 10 teams that made the tournament went back. The one team that didn't, the 07 Oregon State NAFL championship team. And again, a team that repeated hit the end of a town cycle. They win it in 06 and 07. They don't go in 08. Now, the last, the last decade uh, has been a little different because three, three of the ten. But by and large, you see you get a passing grade here that teams that win it make the tournament in the modern era uh, with pretty great regularity. Historically, you've had some teams that haven't made it that won big. And again, college baseball has changed a lot in the modern era. I think it's important to point that out. You know, and I think really in the 70s, people really began to invest in college baseball. And then in the 80s, people began to build these great parks, and it became more of a spectator sport. And so you guys turned out. And so with more resources available, you know, teams were able to kind of sustain some success. Now, now what's interesting, too, so how many teams – that won the NAFL championship, won a regional the next year. But we already know that there was a handful of them that didn't even make the field, right? And, guys, it's about half. It's about half the teams that won an NAFL championship win a regional the next year. Many don't participate, and then others lose. I guess there were seven teams that actually lost in a regional. So it comes out just over right around 51%, about as close to half as you can be. And then 74 of our national championship teams, excuse me, 24 of our 74 national championship teams advanced back to the College World Series in their defense year. So it's about a third. And that number might, you know, you kind of look at it and say, wow, that's pretty impressive. And, again, SC's numbers kind of skew that a little bit. But, you know, you can't just eliminate those numbers. It's what happened. You know, the numbers are what they are. But, you know, by and large, you know, teams in the modern era – that, um, you know, are on a pretty good run here. You know, they go to Omaha and, and they go back. I mean, just kind of looking in, in recent years, let's just kind of look in the 2000s. You know, 2000, LSU wins it. They don't, and they don't make it back to Omaha the next year. 01, same thing. Miami wins it, don't make it to Omaha. 2002, Texas wins it, they do make it back to Omaha. Rice wins it in 03, and then they don't win a regional. Cal State Fullerton wins in 04, they don't make it back to Omaha. Texas wins it and then doesn't win a regional. Uh, 2006, Oregon State wins, and then they repeat. And then after the 07 year, they don't make the tournament. 2008, Fresno State wins it, makes a tournament, doesn't win a regional. 2009, LSU wins it and then doesn't win a regional. South Carolina wins it, repeats, and then even in 2012, they go back to Omaha. You know, so it's three straight years for them. It was a great run for Ray Tanner and his club. 2012, Arizona wins it and then didn't make the tournament. 2013, UCLA beat us for a NAFL title and then didn't make the tournament. Vanderbilt wins it in 14. They go back and lose to Virginia the next year in the national final. Coastal Carolina, excuse me, Virginia wins in 2015 and then didn't win the regional next year. 2016, Coastal wins it all, a year that we should have won it, one of many, and then they don't make the tournament. In 17, Florida wins it. They go back to Omaha. 18, 
Oregon State wins it, then doesn't win a regional. And Vanderbilt wins in 19 and then goes back and loses to Mississippi State in the College World Series final in 2021. And so it is very much a mixed bag, but it is not without precedent. I think it's important, too, for us to have some context here. You know, we have to kind of understand that, uh, number one, it's so incredibly difficult to win and then to have to win in back-to-back years. I mean, you're asking an awful lot. It, again, it happens, and it's not just in the infancy of the College World Series. You know, we have had some two-time champions uh, here in recent years, and it's because we you know, talked about, you know, with Oregon State, South Carolina, uh, those have all happened, you know, in the last 15 years. And so you begin to think about, number one, it's difficult to do, uh, but here's the thing is what we've learned is if you can make the tournament as a national champion, the chances of you advancing beyond a regional round are really, really good. And so if we can just get there, if we can just get to a regional, I think we can get to the supers. Can we get beyond that? I don't know. It depends on matchups. And it depends on how well we're pitching. You know, that's been the thing. There are sometimes we go out there and pitch it really well, like we do Friday night against LSU. We hold them to, what, one run and three hits for eight and two-thirds of an inning and then lose the ball game. And we didn't just lose it because we blew the save. We lost it because we couldn't expand the lead. So if we're playing our best baseball at the end of the year, which is what I hope, and I think that's the expectation for all of us, we just got to make the tournament somewhere. And I think there will be a lot of weight off the shoulders of this team. It's like, hey, we, okay, we, we, we did it. We're back. And we know how to win in tournaments. We do. We, we're a team that does well in regionals. Hadn't always been the case. Chris Simonis done exceptionally well managing this team uh, through tournaments. And so let's just find a way to get there. It's as simple as that. If we can just find a way to get there, you never know what could happen. You never know. So let's not give up on the season just yet. Now, we have a bad weekend this weekend. I may feel completely different next week. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, we're kind of hanging on by a thread at this point. But uh, we got to string some baseball together. The good thing is there's a lot of games left. You know, we got a chance to, to go out there and win some games. We just got to play better. And, and I'm talking to a friend earlier. He goes, I just keep waiting for us to break out. And, you know, we, we may not. I believe that we will, though. I believe, you know, when you, now all of a sudden you get Lane going. And all of a sudden, you know, Kelvin Clark's having some great at-bats, even though he went 0 for 5. You know, all of a sudden maybe Slade Offer gets going. I mean, you know, you never know what's going to be the catalyst. But I'm still hopeful that we can find a way to make it into a regional somewhere. Uh, on Monday, I, did, I wasn't nearly as optimistic. And I can't say I'm optimistic now, but I do at least acknowledge there is the possibility. And then once we get there, you know, there will be this mental lift. It's like, you know what, hey, after all this nonsense and all the adversity that we did, we still found a way to make it. And I think his team would relax, and I think they're capable of winning a regional. Anything beyond that, I'm not ready to make that decision. I don't think, you know, I think that depends on matchups. But, you know, I don't think anybody at this point can say this team has played anything like an Omaha team. I think the best we can hope for is just find a way to scratch and claw and get to Hoover and get in the regional somewhere, and then we'll see how things shake out. But I wanted to kind of give you the historical numbers just so you have an idea of kind of how this thing is because there's always some people that, despite their professions of love for Mississippi State, can't wait uh, to hate on Mississippi State. So that's where you stand uh, with every bit of this. The numbers, again, not in our favor, but uh, that's baseball. You know, you never know. I mean, Fresno State had to sweep the final series of their uh, conference schedule to make their conference tournament, they ended up winning an AFL championship. So, again, that's not without precedent either. You know, 2018, we needed to sweep Florida to get to Hoover, and then we ended up uh, making it all the way to Omaha and losing to the eventual NAFL champion, Oregon State. 
You know, so it's not like, you know, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. You know, so let's just kind of hang in here and keep winning ball games. And even though we won last night, we got to play better than we did last night. Right, final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. You know, Portico is a great residential development here in the greater Starkville area. A very impressive place. You need to go by and check it out yourself. If you're thinking about moving to Starkville, if it's always been your dream to move to Starkville or move back up here or retire here or have a place here, that's always fun to say, right? Portico is the way to go. Turn off 82 on the Highway 12, like going to campus. Take the very first ride at Pat Station Road. You cross over the four-way stop. Boom, there's Portico right there. You're going to be impressed. You will be. And it's so conveniently located to campus, but far enough away that you can have some peace and quiet. Uh, Brooks Bryan is my friend. He's your friend. Brooks knee-deep in every bit of this. Uh, and it's uh, actually Brooks' wife's Beth's birthday today. So happy birthday to you, Beth. Brooks, be sure and uh, give her a nice dinner and the credit card. I'll buy whatever she wants. Uh, Brooks's phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to four-bedroom, four-bath. Uh, phase one is completely sold out. You already got some new friends and neighbors that are already entrenched there, enjoying life in Starkville. Uh, phase two is under development now. So you can have a say in that, picking out your house plans uh, are picking out uh, your lot. So be sure and uh, give Brooks a call and uh, make Portico your next move. All right, final segment of the show. Let's, uh, let's kind of get to this real quickly here. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to kind of preview some stuff on Friday, but I want to kind of take a quick look, uh, kind of you know what's happened this week in the SEC and baseball, and then take a quick look at Auburn. A quick look uh, at Auburn. Uh, it's been uh, – there'll, there'll actually be some baseball tonight – um, excuse me, not tonight. It's uh, tomorrow night. It's today's Wednesday. So looking back here uh, at the schedule that was, it's been a busy week in the non-conference, and it always is this time of year. People just kind of play in one. But uh, Tuesday night, rather interesting. Ole Miss beats Murray State 8-2. Uh, Arkansas shells Arkansas Pine Bluff 15-0. Alabama sneaks by Belmont 3-1. And, and, man, Crimson Tide playing well. Mississippi State, of course, 6-5 winners over UAB. Kentucky, 11-1 winners over Bellarmine. I didn't know there was a Bellarmine until last year. And Kentucky played them, it seemed like, every week. Tennessee Tech, a major upset. They go into Knoxville, and they beat – I guess it was on a neutral field, yeah. They beat Tennessee 3-2 with wooden bats. I don't know that I'd even agree to play that game. But 3-2 winners, Tennessee Tech upsets number one, Tennessee. Uh, Florida State blanks. Florida, 5 nothing. Florida, you know, kind of flirting with the top 25 over and over again. A tough midweek loss there, 5 nothing in Tallahassee. And in Western Illinois, 9-1 losers at Missouri. I guess maybe they played a doubleheader, Arkansas Pine Bluff, and uh, maybe so. Yeah, looks like there was a 6 nothing win there too. And in Western Kentucky, loses 7-4 at Vanderbilt. Uh, North Florida in the game for a while, but lose 4-2 to two at South Carolina. Uh, Georgia wins a wild one at Kennesaw State. And I'll tell you this, this Kennesaw State team, I don't know that anybody wants them in a regional either. That may be a preview. You know, goodness gracious. Josh Hatcher last night, guys, four for six last night. Josh Hatcher, it's, just, it's absolutely ridiculous the run this guy is on. Josh Hatcher had a double last night, did some big things. And um, – but they lose. You know, Georgia's able to – and Georgia's got a good team this year. 17-15 winners, Georgia. 17-15. What a game. 
We talk about burning through some arms. Uh, Auburn sneaks by Samford 4-1. LSU and Lamar was postponed. And then Texas A&M goes down to Corpus Christi and takes care of A&M Corpus Christi 5-3. So that's your weekend. And uh, you know, an interesting – excuse me, your midweek. An interesting midweek. And uh, a lot of interesting matchups out here. And it's, quite, it's such a mixed bag. You know, it's like you, you see this Kennesaw State team. I don't know that anybody wants to see them as a regional. I mean, I, honestly. The way that offense is going, and listen, and good for Hatch, man. It didn't work out here for us, but man, I wish that kid the best. Really do, really do. All right, let's take a quick look at Auburn before we get out of here, and it will be a quick one. Uh, Auburn, you know, opens up the year out of the State Farm College Baseball Showdown out there in Arlington at Globe Life Field, same place we were there last year. They take two of three. They lose the first game to Oklahoma three nothing. They beat Texas Tech two one, and then beat Kansas State twelve one. So Butch. And his staff out there allowed five runs. And it wasn't the field that it was last year, but these are quality teams. So you knew right away they're pitching it pretty well. They get out of there with a 2-1 weekend. Uh, they beat Troy. Then they take uh, two out of three against Yale. They lose the game three, the backside of a doubleheader in 10 innings, 5-4. Uh, they blast Alabama State. They blast UAB. They get by Rhode Island and uh, take uh, four games from those guys, four games from from URI. So that, you know, and, and Rhode Island's not about baseball power. Uh, they beat Tennessee Tech four three in Huntsville at Toyota Field. Then they lose to Middle Tennessee, lose two out of three to Middle Tennessee uh, on the weekend out there. And that weekend they didn't pitch it exceptionally well. They didn't. Uh, they lose two out of three to Ole Miss. And, of course, the big one, the Saturday game, they went 19-5. But, you know, again, they didn't pitch it well. Uh, Ole Miss put up a ton of runs in this, in this series, 33 runs in three games. South Alabama, we talk about pitching again. Auburn wins 13-12. They go to A&M, and you're thinking, okay, these guys are reeling a little bit. And then they win two out of three down there and pitched it pretty well. You know, pitched it pretty well and won some close ball games. And then they, they lose the 11-inning game. Very nearly could have swept this series. And, again, I don't know if we know how good A&M is, to be quite honest with you. Uh, they lose then to Jacksonville State at home, and then they take uh, two of three from LSU in Baton Rouge. And, again, those games mostly nip and tuck, with the exception of the game they lost where they got away 9-2. But there's a lot of 6-5, 6-4 type games. Uh, they beat UAB 6-4 on April 5th, and then they, then they host Vanderbilt and take two of three for them. And then the loss, again, the 19-4 loss on Saturday. So, you know, Saturday looks like it's kind of an interesting day uh, for Butch and his bunch. You just never know from one weekend to the next what Saturday's going to look like. A lot of lopsided scores, some in Auburn's favor and some against. But uh, that's a good weekend for them. And, of course, the, the 19th spot on Saturday, you look at it and say, man, that's a ton. But, you know, you win the series, nobody cares. All right, then they beat Samford last night 4-1. to And so, yeah, it's been an up-and-down year, you know, like – can we win a series? Yes, we can. And do I expect to win a series? Yeah, I do. But I'm also not opposed to the other thing either, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's like a, you look at this stuff and you can talk yourself into anything. But Auburn's pitching it well. Uh, they're not a great offensive team. You know, and I think that maybe we found something pitching-wise. Pitching and Brandon Smith has not been announced as a Sunday starter. It's TBA. Uh, Chris Simonis said last night. So what that tells me is that Preston's going Thursday, Cade's going Friday, and then TBA on, 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 on Saturday. So we'll see how that breaks loose. 
the leading hitter at Auburn is Sonny Deshara, former Samford slugger. We saw him last year come to the regional, hit, hit a tank against us uh, you know, in the game that we won against him. 438, pretty remarkable when you think about it. 438, it's absolutely ridiculous. 11 home runs for him, 32 RBI. Still waiting for that first stolen base. Um, Blake Rambush is another guy, too. It's done really well for them, 374 average. He's hit a couple tanks, too. Nine of 13 in stolen bases. That's one thing I'll say about Auburn, too, against in relation to some of the other teams that we played, they'll get out and run the bases a little bit. Case uh, and Howell having a good year for them, 321. Started all 33 games for them. Uh, got a couple of tanks, 24 ribbies. Uh, Brady Moore, 295 hitter. You know, so you got three guys hitting above 300. And then it, it, there is a kind of a substantial drop-off. There's not a lot of length in this lineup. And that's the thing where you can't, you can't get in, lulled into sleep here and start walking guys and committing errors. Uh, Cole Foster hitting 255, got four, four home runs himself. Uh, Bryson Ware, kind of a part-time starter for them. Uh, one home run for him. He is three of three in stolen bases. Um, Ryan Dow's another guy that's, that's hit four tanks too. So as a team – you got 35 home runs. You've allowed 29. They're hitting 297 as a team, but a lot of that too is uh, it's kind of top loaded. But there's not a lot of this automatic outs in this order. You don't just look at it and say, okay, well we can pitch around this guy. I mean, you're gonna have to go out there and compete. And I think Butch is a guy too that realizes you know they need to make some things happen. They were kind of built to win last year and it didn't work out. They hit the portal pretty hard this year as we expected them to, and uh, have done a nice job kind of piecing together a solid team. They're they're certainly in contention to make the tournament. I don't think there's any question. This would be a big weekend for us. Now, pitching-wise, you always know what you're going to get with Butch. You know, Butch is a guy that's constantly going to have guys that are very well prepared. They're going to compete. Uh, Trace Bright has eight starts under his belt with a 3.83 ERA, a 2-3 and three record on the year. He leads the staff in 40 innings pitched and allowing less than a hit per inning. He has allowed 21 runs, though, so you can get some runs on him. He's allowed just three tanks, uh, does have a – a, and a propensity to walk people, I guess, 19 walks. We could use the free passes, right? 43 punch outs, the 19 walks, the 19 walks, the most on the team. Uh, Jordan Armstrong has been outstanding for them, too. He is a part-time starter, but also a reliever. 38 Ks against nine walks. He has a 3-1 and one record, 24.2 innings pitch, allowing over a hit per inning. Uh, allowed a couple tanks as well, and uh, he has hit four, uh, four as well. Uh, speaking of hit-by-pitches, Hayden Mullins is a guy that, um, again, kind of a part-time starter for them. He has hit seven this year and walked 17. This is another guy, too, that he will put you on base if you let him. Uh, and he is one of their SEC guys, uh, you know, averaging about four innings per contest. Vanderbilt really struggled against him. Nine strikeouts and just the one hit. LSU, seven strikeouts against him and then three hits. Ole Miss had a little bit of success against him, but uh, he has found himself a little bit in SEC play. So, But he is a guy we should expect to see. Joseph Gonzalez is a guy that, um, you know, we saw him last year, and he basically melted down against us in that Sunday game. But he is born again hard. That guy has been really good in his two recent starts. He goes six innings against LSU, allows nine hits, but scatters those and allows three runs couple walks and one punch out. And that LSU lineup will expose some of your tendencies. Vanderbilt, he has a complete game, nine innings, eight hits, two runs, only one of those earned, no walks, eight Ks. So he is around the plate 
And that's what I think Mississippi State needs. We need some guys that are going to be around the plate. But Gonzalez, a great developmental job uh, by Butch Thompson and those guys over there because there were times last year I just looked at him and said, hey, I'm not exactly sure what's happening, you know, but the bottom line is this guy's better. You know, you looked at him last year and they were like, oh, they're really high on him, and you just didn't see it. Well, this year he's got a 1.95 ERA and four no record and six starts. So pretty impressive. Uh, Jordan Armstrong's another guy, too, that uh, good chance we see him. But, you know, this is a pitching staff is very, very solid, and they're doing a much better job than they were, uh, you know, a season ago. As a staff, 4.20 ERA. Uh, you look at the walks, and that's the thing that will get you. 139. Opponents have walked 165 of, of the Auburn hitters. And then 340 punch outs. So, I mean, you're right there, you know, 3-1. to one. But, uh, you know, a team that at times will give up the long ball, but not, not – unnecessarily high I don't think it's at our level but 29 home runs against Auburn pitching so we'll see how things go with those guys but uh, you know can we win the series yes we can do I expect it I can't say that I'm at that point yet Um, you know ask me Friday you know but I I think we need to go out if Preston Johnson pitches as well as he pitches on he pitched last Thursday then I think we're going to win the first game and then we'll see how things go and it's so important for us to be able to get that win you lose that game against LSU, and it's like it felt like the world was, was falling down around us. I think you get that win against Auburn, and I think that will give you a lot of confidence the rest of the weekend. Can we win it? Yes. Will we win it? It remains to be seen. All right, listen, if you're looking for books, you can find them. And uh, I understand, too, they have freed up some more inventory. So dogpilethebook.com. You know, we were kind of dwindling down there. It looks like we're going to be able to bridge this thing together. We'll have another shipment, you know, before Father's Day. Um but if you're looking for a book for Mother's Day, maybe now's the time to get it. Maybe you've been thinking, what do I get mom? She loves college baseball. She loves Mississippi State. She loves to read. Well, I can help you. Go to dogpilethebook.com. That's D-A-W-G, pilethebook.com. And you can get signed to personalized copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Dark Bowens, or Dogpile. And if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it on Amazon, booksmillion.com, or your local bookstore can order it for you as well. Stark Villains gear always available at starkvillains.com. I saw my buddy Jason recently got a shirt. Very proud of him to rep the brand. Uh, be sure and take care of that for yourself. When you're looking for shirts, look for StarkVillains.com. Uh, and uh, real quickly, too, the, the, the barbecue baseball thing, be sure and check those guys out, too. We start thinking about Father's Day. A lot of great gifts out there, but get something with the M over S on it. That is officially licensed merchandise. It's on my Twitter feed and on all forms of social media. Be sure and check that out. That's it for today, man. We'll see you guys on Friday. And hopefully we're talking about a big Bulldog win on Thursday and then the opportunity for us to uh, take a series on Friday. I feel good about it. I don't feel great about it. I don't feel really good about it. I just feel somewhat positive. Let's just say that. And I think the tone setter for this week is going to happen on Thursday. And I think if Preston can go back and replicate what we saw last week against a lineup, it's not quite as potent. I think he got a really good chance there. All right, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.